To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Sports Talk Podcast with Darcy Waldegrave from Newstalk ZB. A lot of the Springboks have shown the ability to play in the um, top league one and go back to super, oh, go back to international rugby fairly quickly and, and get back and c- continue playing their best. So I think the challenge for us, us guys who are on the shorter term deals, who will be returning in the hope of playing international rugby again, is that we play really well here and then we get back and should we get the opportunity to, to represent the All Blacks again, that we um, show that we've improved our games or um, if not kick off where we left off. So uh, that's the challenge and I think uh, if we can do that, then maybe that conversation can be had at New Zealand Rugby. And that is Sam Kane talking from Japan ahead of the start of his new contract on his sabbatical. At 11 minutes after 7, and I will keep you up to date with the cricket too, by the by, if you're interested in that. Uh, this is the second session of the second day in the test match between New Zealand and Bangladesh. But we're going to talk uh, eligibility now with the All Blacks and Overseas Players Managing Director uh, for Halo Sport, also a player agent representing Sam Kane, Halo Sport does, and he works with the New Zealand Rugby Players Association as well. Simon Porter, uh, very exciting times, I suppose you'd say. How are you feeling on this? Very well, thank you, Darcy. Interesting. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and thanks for joining us. A very interesting discussion around, it's almost a constant, isn't it? The ability for players to play overseas, ply their trade, make the money, yet still be allowed to represent the national team, the All Blacks. This is something that NZR have pushed back on for a long time. There's been some, I suppose, little areas where they've opened up with the, the Japanese situation and with uh, sabbaticals and the like. Where do you stand on this? What do you think's the best way forward NZR actually dealing with this issue that they have, Simon? There's a lot to unpack in there, Darcy. But I think the the first point, and I think we can't lose sight of it, is that when rugby went professional in 1996, we adopted the central contracting model um, as opposed to letting, probably just by need more than anything, we didn't have the private money that was potentially on offer in England and France, um, you know, to come in and make club land kind of the, the primacy, you know, the primary contract holder. Uh, we went we went centrally contracted and that meant that, you know, New Zealand rugby were the ones that put up all the money and, and had all the rights, et cetera, and went out and contracted all the players. Now, the one thing in this debate that I just think you cannot underestimate or overlook is that, you know, even though we haven't had success at, at the world tournaments in the, in the men's game over the last um, two tournaments, it is still our competitive advantage and we are the envy of a lot of the rugby world and how we contract. You can see Australia um, with their moves, they're trying to centralise and bring everything under the same tent and that is basically just trying to replicate what we have. So I think you have to remember it's a competitive advantage and then then matching that, you've also got the advancing of professionalism. Um, you've got the advancing of players wanting to play around the world and different competitions and then you've got those competitions running around trying to you know who want the best players 
um, in the world because at the end of the day, everything in sport is a competition for eyeballs. If you have the best players, then ergo, you have more eyeballs, your rights are worth more, you know, you can pay players more, you earn more, you can do more for the game in your country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are some really big competing interests that just have to be worked through here. The lure of the all-black jersey, it's still the big thing. That's what the fish that I suppose that NZR have, and they'd be reluctant to let that one go. But they've got to evolve in this space or, or die, Simon? Look, I think the lure of the black jersey is still very strong. Um, there's no doubt. But I think that what um, you're also getting is a, a breed of rugby player who you know, rugby's only been professional in their lifetime. You know, they don't know about the the stories of the sacrifices or the brown paper envelopes paid in Italy or, or anything like that. They only know professionalism. So they're brought up pretty laser-focused on wanting rugby to be, you know, what they do, how they make their money, how they can set themselves up, etc. And that just then breeds other, you know, the, the next question is, well, how do I do that? When do I give up on the dream? Um, and you know, I don't. I don't actually think. I mean, I say this every year. Every four years, this debate runs it rolls around because it's a World Cup year, and oh, there's an exodus. There's etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, we we run the biggest agency in the country, and our overseas numbers have been pretty static in terms of players going overseas over the last wee while. Like it's not. It's pretty cyclical in nature. The the big names head off after the World Cup because, um, you know, they they've done their time in the jersey and they want to hand it on. Um, so it's. You know, I'm. Yeah, I, I know it's a really interesting talking point, but I don't know if it's always the big issue that everyone makes it out to be. Interestingly, uh, Simon Porter's a player agent who joins us on the program. When you have that natural attrition, for want of a better word, and you have that top layer of All Blacks peeling off at you know 30, 35, whatever it is, that just gives room for the fresh shoots to come through. So in that case, it's probably not a bad thing that we lose some of these top players. Look, it's you never want to say it's a good thing or a bad thing or anything like that. And you know, look at a guy like Dane Coles, who's you know given his guts for the the country and stayed here till he's thirty six or, or is it thirty six? It might even be a bit older, whatever it is. So you know, we we have a finite amount of money available in this country for rugby players. It's the player payment pool. It is what it is. And so you know, when you do lose players, and you know, the Moangas and the White Locks and the um, Smiths, etc., who, who go overseas, you know, they're on, you know, a lot of money, and yep, that frees up money for the next tier, and so we're not losing the 22 or 23 year old um, because you know it's it's freed up cash. We we effectively have a salary cap that determines how much money we can spend on our players. They've got an outlier in the form of Lester Fanga Anuku. Is that really an outlier? Yep. Is that maybe a sign of the times? Because he's a very young man. He's disappeared. He can see the money. He wants to look after his whanau. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm gone. You're an injury away from your career ending. What kind of example or or beacon does that set for the, the younger players coming through, Simon? Well, I mean, they've all got choices. And what you have to remember is that the world is so connected now that when, you know, when someone leaves the changing room, you know, whether they're an all black, whether they're a first year super rugby player, whether they, you know, never quite cracked it and were on the fringes, et cetera, they've got a social media account, they've got messaging apps, they've got whatever, and people can just watch and see what people are doing the world over. And, and, and people ask questions and guys are curious. And, you know, New Zealanders, and I've said this a million times, you know, I went on an OE, you know, rugby players are going to want to go on an OE at some point. You, you know, New Zealanders grow up wanting to go and explore and, you know, rugby players are no different. Some guys, you know, some people 
go after high school. Some people wait till they've worked a couple of years. Some people go after their degrees in, in, in general life. So, you know, I think that if you actually looked at it and boiled it down, you know, Leicester probably is a bit of an outlier in terms of someone who's cracked the All Blacks and goes that young. I mean, the, the last one, and I'm not quite sure on the ages, but I think um, Charlie was Piatel was probably a little bit older, but he kind of feels like the last one that was kind of in that group of going, wow, man. That's that. That feels like, you know, we, we, we wanted to see more of him here. Are NZR handling this well? Do you think, and, and at a decent pace? I've seen all the media today and all that sort of stuff, and I see NZR came out with with their statement. I, you know, I I think if you ask NZR, they're saying that it probably doesn't need to be fixed. You know, that they're pretty happy with the system they have, and they don't want to rock the boat. They're you know they're desperate. Um, for or desperate might be a hard word. That's my word, but they're you know they're they're really keen to get Super Rugby back thriving and opening the floodgates to let people go and play in Japan all the time is not going to be good for Super Rugby. So, you know, NZR have got to look after a lot of mouths and they've got to keep a lot of people happy, players, Super Rugby, NPC, um, Heartland, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I think they're probably sitting there going, yep, we owe an obligation to the players, but equally, you know, we've got stakeholders and we have to do what we can to to help them in the marketplace and, and for them to, you know, be more commercial and be better and, and most importantly to to engage the next generation, get the young kids back watching, um, get people, get bums on seats, make sure that the product's awesome. And I guess when you read between well, you don't have to read between the lines. When you read their lines, you know, they, they they want to protect those competitions. They want to protect those aspirational pathways. You know, my, my you know, if, if this rule ever changes, my view is that the first step is to pick players who are playing within the competition that our Super Rugby teams are playing in. So, you know, can, can you let, um, you know, could, could we see All Blacks playing for the Waratahs and, and Wallabies playing here or, you know, Fiji and Drura or Moana Pacifica, etc. My view is that is the logical first step to open to open things up. Um, whether that's going to provide the riches for players, I'm not sure. Will it provide them something different? Will it make the competition better? You know, that's probably what would drive them to allow it to make the competition, you know, stronger, um, more competitive. Um, that that's what would you know that's what would drive that. Simon Porter, you're a, you're a major player when it comes to uh, player management. Is this a prevalent thought with the players that you deal with as they come through this sideline that possibly they may go overseas? How much is this discussed around the upcoming players? Yep, yeah, career planning, um, you know, it, it's part of it. I mean, if you're a professional rugby player, you know you're going to be made redundant at some stage. You know, you don't have complete, you know, look, you know, you're really lucky if you get to have complete control over when you are made redundant. But your job is going to come to an end, you know, not at 65, not whatever. It's going to come to an end. I think, you know, the statistically it's something like in the average career is six years or whatever it is, you know. So, of course, they do career planning. Of course, they, you know, decide what's important to them and at what stage, you know, they feel they have given everything they can in New Zealand or um, they, they feel that they're at that time now where they've only got X amount of years left and, and if the money overseas is this, then, well, that just makes sense. That's worth giving up what I have here. Of course, that's just career planning. And, and when you're in a competitive game, you know, sorry, a, a contact game, 
um, like we do where contracts are short, you know, the vast majority of contracts are two years, probably 56% of contracts are two years, and then it'll be a mix between one year and, you know, three or four years f- for the rest of it. You know, you've you've got to be smart and you've got to make good decisions. And so, of course, career planning and, and working out when the right time to look overseas might be is part of what, you know, part of our duty to our players is to make sure they understand that. For more from Sports Talk, listen live to News Talk ZB from 7 p.m. weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.